What's in a name? Or more specifically, I should ask, what's in the name of a car? Does it really matter what a car is called? I mean, can the name of a car really affect how well it sells? And if it does, then how do you know what kind of name will work? Should it trip easily off the tongue? Does it have to resonate with mellifluous tones? Or should it offer a staccato beat? Should the name connote what the car is all about? Should it be made up? Or what about all those numbers and letters that are used to name so many cars these days? Well, we're going to get to the bottom of all these questions today because my guest is Nina Beckhart, the president of Namebase, a company that specializes in naming products, including cars. And joining me on my journalist panel this morning are Gene Halliday from Advertising Age magazine and Peter DeLorenzo, who runs AutoExtremist.com. If you'd like to learn more about the art and science that goes into naming vehicles, stay right where you are. We'll be back in just a moment. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Welcome to this episode of AutoLine Detroit, where we're talking all about naming cars and how to pick the right names for them with Nina Beckhart, the president of Namebase. Great having you here on AutoLine Detroit, Nina. Also, Gene Halliday from AdAge. Great having you back. And Mr. Auto Extremist himself, Peter DeLorenzo. Hey, Peter, always great having you here. Glad to be here. Nina, tell us a little bit about Namebase. I mean, how do you get a job coming up with names? How do you have a whole company naming things? I'm sure there are companies who say, what do you mean we're going to pay somebody to come up with a name? We are name creators. We are naming advisors. Uh, so much of a name is, is not only does it say something in one or two words, does it encapsulate your brand, your message, and the personality of the product or company that you're naming, but uh, it has to be a name that's safe from a trademark standpoint and from a linguistic standpoint. So um, not only do we develop uh, hundreds of names for each project that we do, but uh, we also make sure that uh, the clients see names that are, that are safe, that are ownable. Well, let's talk about naming cars. And a simple question, what makes for a good car name? Short answer, it's when you name a car, it's you have the opportunity to communicate the benefits of what that car is, what it does, uh, the personality of the car. Um, so we're not just talking, you know, horsepower, engine displacement, but how you feel when you're in that car um, and, and how you want to be and, and aspire to be. So there's a lot more than, than just the, the nuts and bolts of the vehicle. Then explain to me why the industry is going to so much of this alphanumeric naming of vehicles, where they combine letters and numbers together. So you have like a, a Lincoln MKT, you have a Jaguar XJS, you have a BMW, whatever, fill in the name of, of numbers and letters. If you want people to evoke, have the name evoke some sort of feeling or explain what the car is, why all this move to letters and numbers? Well, I think it's important to look at who first started to do um, alphanumeric naming. It was Mercedes-Benz and BMW. And um, with alphanumerics, you know, the focus is on the brand name itself. Um, the simplicity and lack of meaning in a conglomeration of letters and words therefore puts the spotlight on the brand name itself. So, um, for instance, you see a BMW driving by, um, there's a, a better chance that somebody's going to say, uh, or a lot of people would say, look at the BMW, they're not going to call it out by the letters and numbers, where if you see, you know, a Ford Explorer driving by, 
you someone say, oh, you know, check out the Explorer. They, it's not so much that they would say, look at that Ford going by. So, um, you know, it's it definitely serves a purpose, though. I don't uh, generally support it. Good, that's good to hear. Because Peter, I'm sure you, you can't stand these letters and numbers, can you? Well, uh, the German car companies, I can understand it. Because they always did. Yeah, but when Cadillac did it, it was like, come on, you've got El Dorado, you've got DeVille, you've got great names. And then when Lincoln did it, I almost turned in my auto extremist card. I mean, <laughs> just like, come on, guys, you've got Continental. I mean, great American car names. So I think it works for the Germans. It works just fine for the Germans. But why try to emulate them? I mean, Mazda or Infinity is doing it, and you know, Lexus, Lexus, and Lexus Acura, it's, I mean, just, it's just a nightmare. It's just it, it means nothing. Gene, what do you make of all? I I agree with 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 both of you guys. Um, it's confusing. The Lincoln move is still confusing. What's the difference between the MKZ and the MKS? I mean, I think people, the general public, is probably really confused, and they haven't really, you know, what, which model is which. Um, and I, I like the car names. I think uh, it does evoke, it gives you a connection to... The other thing I noticed, because being in broadcast, you know, you, certain letters do not come across distinctly through a microphone and speakers. So an MKS with an S versus an MKX with an X, it's hard to distinguish when you're, you're in broadcast. And, and to me, it's totally confusing, and i got to stop and think about what is this car name. But aren't they all just trying to copy BMW and Mercedes? Well, they're certainly trying to copy the tone. But it, it, when you have great names in your, in your portfolio, why, why throw them out? I don't get it. I don't understand that. Well, the Continental and the town car, right, they're livery, basically, vehicles, uh, and not something that maybe people aspire to be. Actually, someone told me that the Lincoln thing is, will work over time, that their change to Elfin America will work over time. Well, I yeah, think half a century yeah. from now, we'll all recognize <laughs> the names. I really think they need a clearer system, a naming system. At least, you know, BMW and Mercedes and Audi, even, you could say, they, you know the numbers, you got the, it's, it's a progression, it makes sense. But Lincoln is just, you know, MK what? And it's because of our confusion on all this. This is yes. why you're the naming expert. This is why you don't like using alphanumeric nomenclature, I take it. Because the, the very essence of what makes a brand strong is, is the differentiating factor. And if you're simply going to kind of throw up your hands and say, well, you know, I'll just piggyback onto that trend. You're, you're simply, you're not differentiating yourself. Um, and, you know, so, so much of what you can do in a name is create an, an emotional connection. And uh, it's, it's much easier to create an emotional connection when the, you know, the name creates an image, it evokes a feeling, um, it excites someone. It's, there's words generally more exciting than, uh, than letters and words put together in kind of this jumbled way. And I, I know that they do have meaning, but uh, not to the, to the general consumer, I'd but say. But will the general consumer now think of a, a Cadillac and a Lincoln as being more upscale because they sound more like a Mercedes or BMW? I think that was the desired effect. Um, I do think that it's a stretch, though, because, yes, over time, that will start to be associated with kind of an elevated... Um, you know, association, but for right now, it's, it looks like piggybacking to me. Well, I think we have to go back a ways because 
Mercedes and BMW had two of the greatest automotive taglines ever. One was engineered like no other car in the world. So they could do this naming thing because... And that they, was Mercedes. Yeah, that was Mercedes. And then the ultimate driving machine for BMW. And they could do this nomenclature thing because they were just numbers of what we do. You know, this is the 330i and it's a BMW. It's an ultimate driving machine. This is a S-Class Mercedes, and you know it's engineered like no other car in the world. So how we number them is really insignificant. But they, but, you know. At least if you go back 30, 40 years, the, the, the numbering was very logical. Yeah, yeah. The small BMW was a 3 Series. Yeah. The medium-sized one was a 5. The big right. you know, Starship Trooper kind of sedan was the 7. Yeah. So I, it was, and then you had different engines within that, so you had a, a 518. Yeah, there was a logic to it. Right. But when Cadillac did it, there was no logic to it. Right. And when Lincoln did it, there was really no logic to it, other than we better do something because BMW, Cadillac, and Mercedes are doing it. we got to do it. And then they're stepping on each other's toes in numbers with the Audi Q7 and Q5. What about the Q4? What about the Q4 Infinity? What about the MDX versus the M? I mean, there's a lot of, you know, whose letter is it anyway? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. And there will be huge disputes and tons of legal dollars poured into fights over the letter Q when, you know, it's, you could communicate so much more by using real words. You know, one, one benefit of the um, alphanumerics uh, with, you know, using 3, 5, and 7 series as an example it creates competition just in that they exist because someone that's driving around in a 3 series knows that they could always, you know, try to get to the 5 or the 7. So it creates this competition that, that exists in that way. Um, that's, that's one reason why I think a lot of people go for that as well. What do you make of uh, Porsche, for example, which always started with numbers? You had the 911, you had uh, the 914, the 928, and now they're starting to name cars, the Panamera, the Cayenne, the Boxster. What do you make of that, Peter? Uh, I don't know. I, I only like the Boxster of those vehicles, so it's hard for me to get rubbed up. About. You think, only like the vehicle, or you, that's the only name that you like? I only like that particular vehicle. I, I, I think Porsche is just trying to do, remember they had Carrera. Mm -hmm. uh, they've used that, and I think this is really directly from their experiment with Carrera, which they've with, stuck with for 40 years. So that's where that's coming from. What, what do you make of them? I Gene, think it's here. a good move. Uh, they should expand, and uh, it will differentiate them from, from others. Do you think Lincoln could go back to using names again? Boy, they would look kind of foolish, probably, because, I mean, they introduced the Zephyr and then, what, a year later changed it around. Yeah, they, um, they waffled and they went back. But I, I'd, like to, I'd like to see the research that shows people actually understand what vehicle is what in the Lincoln lineup, because I think there's a lot of confusion uh, from, among consumers for that. Nina, does it really matter what a name of a car is? I mean, if, if you took the Toyota Corolla, the best-selling car in the United States right now, and called it that... I don't know, the stepladder. I mean, you know, would it matter? I mean, aren't people just buying the car for what the car is and not the name? I really do think that the name matters because uh, a key essence of creating a brand um, that you know, I have learned is that you're personifying it. If you think of the brand as something that's organic, something that's alive, it becomes, people can form that emotional bond with it. So if you have... Um, you know, words like Elantra that says elegant. You have E-L-E -E to begin, and then 
antra, you know, mantra, there's so much rich meaning within that one um, coined word that it gets people's wheels turning as they're going to buy the car on a conscious and subconscious level. Um, names have baggage. Uh, numbers and letters, not so much baggage. Names have baggage that can be good or bad. So when people hear certain names, it, you, that's your chance to evoke something. So, you know, even looking at names that are based on real words, like the Jeep Liberty, that will really get the kind of you know, American uh, patriotic person really riled up. They're going to want to drive a Jeep Liberty. So. I do think that uh, it's a, a deep psychological influence. Okay, you gave us a great example of a name. Give us a good example of a terrible name for a car. Do you have any? Uh, I do. Um, you know, Volkswagen, for example. Um, they have a wonderful visual branding identity, very consistent color, font, um, very cohesive. Their actual names of their cars, for me, leave something to be desired. Um, not only uh, just in the how much meaning they lack, um, you know, the words tucked inside their names, Tiguan, Touareg. Tor, I, I kind of see where you're going with that one, and then to end it with egg, it's just clunky. So um, they, I, I view them as kind of the, the weird exchange student coming in with these weird names, and um, they're able to get away with it because they're kind of quirky, but... Um, they, they definitely don't communicate much. In fact, uh, Torag is a good example because you almost have to be, if you look at the spelling of it, you, as an American, I think you have to be taught how to say the name. And, and they did that good. in an ad. They sort of poked fun at themselves, exactly. probably because nobody knew how to say it. And they, they, they had, I don't know if you remember that ad, different people that. mispronouncing yeah. it and finally giving us the correct pronunciation. But it's not cute, though. Volkswagen's <laughs> been pulling this for years, and they, they basically shoot themselves in the head every time they introduce a new vehicle. It's just like, stop already. You know, put some... Hire Nina. Get, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hire, hire Nina. That's you right. Get, because, get a name, folks. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't work over here. You know, golf, I think, is a dumb name uh, in, in English in America. Jetta, I don't think, makes any sense. Toreg, Turan, you know, Rutan, uh, Passat. I mean, uh, yeah, I think those are terrible names. It, yeah. You got any favorites, Peter? Well, they're from the old school. The Gremlin was one of my favorites. <laughs> Of course, it looked like a gremlin, so I... And, and they used a little gremlin, you know... Logo. Uh, yeah, they thought it was all cute. Beastie kind of thing. Yeah, it was yeah. kind of cute. But, yeah, to, the car to brag about it. The car had plenty of gremlins, right? <laughs> Gene, anyone that you like uh, like, like to hate? Yaris. I don't, I don't know what it means. Oh, Yaris. Yeah, Yaris. Yeah, it's it sounds a like a drawl. Like a pirate. You know? Yar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How about uh, animals then, or, or anything that's got to do with imagery? I gotta believe in your book, Nina, that's the way to do it. Well, it's interesting, the evolution of names that uh, speak to imagery, whether it be animals or places. Um, animals were definitely uh, a popular subject for car names earlier on, you know, with the Thunderbird and the Falcon. You don't see that quite as much anymore. Um, but I do, I feel that it makes sense that so many cars are named for animals because, you know, especially looking at how many names involve horses. The, the pony was a, was a name or the Mustang or, um, you know, there's other, because the, uh, the initial form of transportation that we had before cars was a horse. So it's kind of 
this natural progression, I think. But if you look at the animals that cars are named after, it's usually not fuzzy and cute, with the exception, of course, the um, Volkswagen Rabbit. Um, but you know, it's not usually a rodent. It's something that's predatory, um, strong, or majestic. Um, you have birds of prey or things of, of great beauty or power. Is the, the whole predatory thing, is that because, I mean, that's very masculine, I would think, and this has been a very male-dominated industry. Is, is that the reason, or is there more to it than that? That is a big, big reason, I'd say. Um, the cars that have more masculine names are, that's just something that people strive for, and I think it is because it is such a male-dominated industry. But, um, yeah, there's something about uh, the, a man getting in his Viper or, you know, his Falcon, and it gives you a boost. It, it definitely furthers that emotional connection with the car because you can be this, this dorky little nobody, and when you get in your, your Falcon, you're kind of a badass, you know? <laughs> you're tough. Well, there was a famous Ford commercial when they brought out the Mustang of the librarian going to the Ford dealer with her hair up and her horn rim glasses on and her blouse with a tight tightly uh, tied scarf around her neck, and then she gets her Mustang, she gets in the Mustang, pulls her hair down, takes her glasses off, puts sunglasses on, takes her scarf off, and she's like happening, you know? <laughs> I mean, so plenty of women like Mustang, and I think they like some of those names too. How about you, Jane? Uh, 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 Jean, uh, what do you think? Animal names, they they good way to they go? They work pretty well, I think. Yeah, the Viper is one that I have in mind. Oh, the Jaguar is a great name. Corvette's a great name. Of course, mm -hmm. that's a light uh, cruiser, battle cruiser. Right. And a, the Cougar. It was a boat. The Cougar was a fun name and a fun, fun to about, advertise, too. <laughs> what about names that uh, really had no meaning but caught on anyway because they've been around long enough, like Camaro? I mean, I, I don't think Camaro really means anything. Uh, not to my knowledge, certainly, but now it's been around for so long that we just accept the name. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, there have been some generic names that have succeeded. I can't think of any right now. <laughs> well, even names that, when you really look at what it means, um, you know, Montero is actually a kind of hat, but and it's it's not that that powerful or interesting, but. It just phonetically has strength, and it, it sounds like the Camaro kind of. It, mm -hmm. It's fast. It, it has rhythm but within the work. But it's even harder-edged Montero, Montero right? Camaro, which is right. almost soft. Well, it is softer, but... Well, and if you look at the vowels, you with Camaro, it's it's softer. You have that round, open A, and Montero is... There's a lot of O's, which is masculine in, in phonetics and sound symbolism. Um, masculine sounds, generally O's and, and harder vowels, it's seen as stronger. Whereas, um, you know, Altima has a, a round kind of more, it is a gentler sound to it. So should automakers pick more masculine names for vehicles that might be more aimed at men and softer, rounder names that would maybe be going after women? Although you got to know in the auto industry, the kiss of death of a car is being becoming known as a chick car. Right, right. And I think you, you definitely have to look at the um, target demographic, who you think is going to be driving this car, who you're going to direct it at. But once again, looking at the personality of the car, um, is it a car with a lot of strength? Is it a fast car or is it, you know, a more responsible car? It's more dependable. 
Um, so whether or not it's masculine or feminine um, is one thing, but just looking at the, the personality traits of the car itself, I think if you, you can view the, the parent brand, the automaker, as a personality, and each car model that they release is an expression of a personality trait. So, you know, if I were, if, if Nina were a, um, an automaker, I would want to release, you know, the, the intelligentsia or the, you know, some, some kind of names that would represent uh, desirable personality traits that I think I would possess. That's kind of how I view that really. It's, it's um, in a way for people, for the car maker to express, this is what I'm about, this is what I support, this is who I am. I, I would like to just add, because in speaking with you, uh, what you said brought something up. Um, when, when GM had the Montana, Pontiac Montana, it was a trim level and a minivan, you know, how do you make it sexy to men? Because women, you know, they'll buy, they'll buy it. But once they did change the name and did the cowboy imagery, they sold more to men. It was unbelievable. Really. So it does work. As long as they didn't do the Tony Montana Scarface edition. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh. <laughs> well, Nina, uh, what about green stuff? I mean, uh, as in environmental. There's all kinds of naming going on right now. It, it almost seems like there's a law that you have to put the, na the word green or the word blue in there. How do you name environmentally sound products these days and avoid calling it green this or blue that? Well, we've done uh, at Namebase quite a bit of um, environmental naming. It's just, it's the trend, but hopefully is not going to be a trend, but kind of something that's set in place. Um, but that's just the point is that we, any name that we create, we make sure to, as we say, future-proof it. Um, we don't want the name to be trendy in any way. Um, so, you know, while it's being called green now, that's just I think a um, expression of its relative newness, whereas you know pretty soon the emissions and just the way that cars are built will be more as we call it green now, but it's going to be the standard practice. So um, I think if you spoke more to general aspects of what it means to be environmentally responsible or um, kind of getting at smart or intelligent um, rather than focusing on the color. The color seems like something that is is very of the moment and hot and easy to do. It's easy branding. That's that's a good point, John, because th this blue tech stuff and the blue German diesel thing, that that's going to have to go away because it's going to be meaningless. More like the insight, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I, I got to believe that alphanumerics, combination of letters and numbers, doesn't connote environmental intelligence or soundness or anything like that either. Right, right. But then, you know, I do, I do think that Prius is a good name, um, be, being that it was the first of its kind. It's, it's pre, when you have PRI, you have primary, you have a lot of firstness, if you will, in that name. So I do, for what that was and um, for, for what it is, I think that it's a strong name environmentally. Good. Well, with that, we'll have to wrap up this broadcast version. We'll let the cameras keep rolling. I want to keep asking some questions here of Nina. But Nina Beckhart, president of, uh, of Namebase, th thanks so much for coming on AutoLine Detroit and sharing all this uh, information about naming cars. And Gene Halliday from AdAge and Peter DeLorenzo from Auto Extremist, great having you guys here as well. As well. And I'll be back in a moment with some closing thoughts. 
As I mentioned, we have even more of our conversation with Nina Beckhart available at our website. You can catch that right now at www.autolinedetroit.tv. And tomorrow, we have a very unique program you're going to want to catch on our website as well. We'll be doing an hour-long webcast with Tom Stevens, the Vice Chairman of General Motors in charge of product development. In fact, you'll be able to submit your own questions to Tom Stevens. We'll be webcasting live from 10 to 11 a.m. Monday, September 21st at AutolineDetroit.tv, so check it out. I know that everyone watching this industry wants to know where GM is headed, and this will be a great chance to learn more. But that wraps up this show. For all of us here at AutoLine Detroit, thanks for watching. We'll see you next week.